Good morning, family. How are you today? Good. It's so good to see you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers. If we haven't met, welcome. Glad that you're here. And to all of our friends joining us online, welcome, welcome, welcome. We love you and glad that you're a part of our time together as well. Now, before we get into the lesson this morning, we need to address a very important issue in the church today. I've been told by a few of you, and some of you are wearing orange shirts to remind me of this fact, that there was a football game yesterday. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? Now, 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 hang on, hang on. Two things. Number one, I did not wear this on purpose. I didn't know there was the game yesterday. Number two, we need to just address the elephant in the room here, okay? So here's what I want us to do. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor, turn to your neighbor, and here's what I want to say. You are my brother or sister. Go ahead. Regardless of who you went for. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, God bless you. So, today we're jumping back into this weird but incredibly important and powerful letter to the early church that we call the book of Revelation. Now notice I said Revelation, not Revelations, because it's not plural, it's singular. It is the singular revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, let's do a quick recap for our scholars in the room who remember. On week one, we said that there's this word we use often to describe the end of the world or, you know, some sort of big event. We'll say something is apocalyptic. Oh, dude, the apocalypse is here. Oh, that was apocalyptic. Now, we said that's how people often use it, sort of the end of the world, but who remembers what the Greek word apocalypsis actually means? It doesn't mean end of the world, but do you remember what it means? Someone just yell it out if you do. Unveiling. Thank you. Same person at the first service and second got it twice. Good job. I love this. Unveiling. It doesn't mean end of the world. It doesn't mean bombs are dropping. It doesn't mean armies are advancing. Rather, the word apocalypse means unveiling, revealed, or revelation. So when you hear someone talking about the apocalypse, they're talking about the revelation. We are here looking not just at the end of the world at the book of Revelation. We are looking at the revealing of who Jesus is. The book of Revelation is not ultimately about the end of the world and all these cosmic events. The book of Revelation is ultimately about who you will worship. And the declaration that the only one worthy of worship is Jesus Christ. So it's almost like as you're watching all these images in the sky above, it's almost like a giant felt curtain is, or, 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 or crimson curtain is being lifted up. And as it goes up higher and higher, you're seeing more and more and more. Here's Jesus. And so today we're going to see another sign that shows more of this story. Now, quick little warning. I'm going to show you one more time. We did this last week. I'll probably do this a few more weeks. The outline to the book of Revelation. It's not what you expect. But here is the simple but accurate outline to the book of Revelation. You can write this down in like five seconds. Here it is. That's the outline of the book of Revelation. We all kind of go, okay, I'm following along, first three chapters, Jesus shows up, he's talking to the church, I get the last portion, the end of the world, you know, so there's heaven, there's hell, everything's fixed. But it's this part, we go, what is this about? And so we get into these little bits, chapters four and five, that worship scene in heaven we saw a few weeks ago. It's a little weird, but we can kind of figure it out. And then we get into 
chapter 6 through 19, and you go, oh my goodness. So, good news. Today we're going to jump to chapter 12, and then next Sunday we're going to come back and begin to tackle all the weirdness in chapter 8 through 18. How does that sound? Uh, it's, it's too late. It's too late. Okay, it was just, it okay. so here's how I want to begin today as we get into this. By the way, grab your Bibles. I will refer to them from time to time, okay? Go to Revelation chapter 12. While we're going there, let me sort of set the table here with a confession. This week, uh, excuse me, last week, there was a moment that I'm afraid may have irreparably damaged my relationship with my children and their respect for me. By the way, have you ever done something as a parent? Just show your hands here. Any of you ever do anything as a parent, grandparent, and you go, oh, that was just not a good choice. Anyone here as parents? Anyone else honest this morning? Okay, yeah, some of you there. So when I say I messed up relationship, it wasn't that I, that I uh, you know, messed up with the discipline, although I've done that. Uh, it wasn't that I messed up with my example, although there are many times I don't live up to the standard that I ask them to live up to. This situation... I kind of screamed like a child. All right? So there's the respect. He's the one who's supposed to protect our family, take care of our family, and this is what happens. Here's what happened. Maybe you can empathize. Our family likes to play hide-and-go-seek. We'll turn off all the lights at night, and we'll, we'll hide, and we'll, we'll do that. It's a great game. A lot of fun. That's not where this happened. This happened when I came home from work one day. I walked through the front door. My son Stephen's there, he greets me. My wife's there, she greets me. My daughter is nowhere to be found. And I look, I can't find her. I don't think anything of it until I go to throw a piece of trash away that's in the trash can in the closed closet door in our kitchen. I open the door and there's this little pint-sized person who goes, and like any self-respecting man, I scream like a three-year-old. And so, uh, you know, pray for me. There's all sorts of psychological issues I've got to work through on that one. But here's the problem. I didn't know that she was hiding. I, I didn't expect her to be there. I mean, if I had known that she was hiding, if I had known that she was going to try and get me, I could have been emotionally prepared to at least stifle the girlish scream. I, I could have done something, but I didn't know to expect it, and so I was caught off guard and responded in a way that I did not want to respond. How many of us, if we're being honest, would say there are moments in our lives that catch us off guard and we don't prepare, we're not ready, and as a result, we don't respond the way we want to respond? Man, you, that moment where you get the little letter from the IRS saying you owe more money, you go, oh no, if I'd only known. Some of you are getting cold sweats already, aren't you? (laughs) Others of us, it's that moment where your child asks that really awkward question, like, oh no, if I'd only been prepared, I could answer the question. There are these moments where we are not prepared, but if we were prepared and knew to expect it, we would be ready to stand in the moment. Here is the bottom line. If you don't hear anything else today... There is an enemy, and he is hiding, ready to harm the object of God's love, and that would be you. Now that you know it, it is time to prepare for it. And so we read this in picturesque form in the book of Revelation chapter 12. If you will, let's stand together as we look at these verses together. Beginning in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out 
in pain as she was about to give birth. And all the women say, no duh. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She, was, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accused them before our God day and... What's that word? Isn't it true? Sometimes guilt and the accusations of the enemy come when you're trying to take a nap or go to sleep. He's doing it day and night, but he has been hurled down. Now pay attention. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury Because he knows that his time is short. Now verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. They triumphed by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to show us the truth of this passage so we may see and live and walk confidently in the power of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will open each person's ears and our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. We're about to see another scene take place place. The curtain is rising. The images are being arranged. It's almost like a play where scene after scene, they drop the curtain, they move the scenery around, they raise the curtain, and next is a new scene. That's what is about to happen. And there are two figures that come on stage. John says, first, I saw this pregnant woman. Now, this is an interesting picture. He says it was not just a picture. He calls it a great sign. Now, this is very important to understand. In the ancient world, it was believed that when a hero or an important person was being born, that their birth would have some corresponding signs in the sky, maybe stars, maybe some sort of celestial event would happen. And so this is a way for us to understand someone important is about to be born. But the person that we first see is not the one being born, it's the one giving birth, which 
would have surprised the people who were reading this. After all, in the first century, it was the, the men who got center stage, who received top billing. But the story doesn't begin with a man. It begins with a pregnant girl. Now, does that sound familiar to any other story you know in the Bible where it begins with a pregnant girl? Jesus. The story of Jesus does not begin with Jesus. It begins with God coming to this young girl, Mary. And from this young girl comes Messiah, the one who will take away the sin of the world. The story begins with this girl. In other words, God has a plan for every person, regardless of your status or your station in life. And this story, and by the way, wasn't there a sign at the birth of Jesus as well? A sign in the sky? Do you remember what it was? A star. And now this girl, this pregnant woman, he sees her, and he sees something unique about her. Number one, she is wearing or she is clothed, it says, in the sun. Now, I don't know what that means. Maybe her clothes were brilliantly white. Here's what we do know. The symbol of the sun for the Hebrew people was a symbol of the presence and the power and the purity of God. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Moses goes up on the mountain and visits with God. When he comes down, people look and go, oh, he can't even look directly at your face, Moses. It's so bright. Why? He had been in the presence of God. She is now wearing the sun. This is a symbol to show us she has some connection to the purpose of God. And she is standing on the moon. Now, this isn't the first lunar landing scene. That's not what this is depicting. Rather, in the ancient world, the worship and the celebration of the moon and the cycles of the moon was a part of most pagan worship practices. In fact, to this day, uh, Wiccans, witches, if you have friends or know people who practice that, you will know that they celebrate or they see significance in the cycles of the moon. But do you notice the moon symbolizing pagan activity, the moon symbolizing the powers of the dark world. Notice where it is in relation to God. It's under the foot of God's people. Not because you and I are powerful in ourselves, but because we are clothed in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Point number one, you do not need to fear the darkness. You need to know that it's there, but Christians are not afraid because we have in us the one who overcomes. And finally, notice this. She's wearing a crown of 12 stars over her head. 12. Uh, We've done this before. Let's do it again. The number 12. What does that mean? 12 symbolizes the people of God. In the Old Testament, all of God's people in Israel were a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the New Testament, there are 12 apostles, the 12 who were closest to Jesus, commissioned by him to start the church and establish the work that we now continue to this day. So you have 12 in the old, 12 in the new. This is symbolic of the people of God, those who are submitting their lives to God for the purposes of God. And she wears a crown. But here's the thing that you may not know. That word crown, it's not what you think. See, when we hear the word crown, we think medieval crown, metal Maybe some gems, little points, whatever. This word is not that word. This is the word Stephanos. Everyone say Stephanos. Stephanos. Yes, this is the sort of the, the, the wreath that you would receive as an athlete who completes the race, wins the Olympics, does something 
This is the kind of crown you receive. In fact, this is the crown that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy. Do you remember the passage where he says these words? I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me, notice this, the crown, the Stephanos of righteousness. In other words, this is the image that you are to get. This isn't someone who is in authority because of their own ability. This is one who has been granted victory. And by the way, just as a side, do you notice he says, I have finished the race? He doesn't even say, I came in first place, does he? Friends, finish the race marked out for you. You will receive the crown of righteousness if you will simply finish, persevere, continue. And so this is the picture of the woman. Now, everything's great. You say, wonderful. We have this beautiful woman. There's a baby about to be born. We know that this is symbolic. We know Jesus is coming. Awesome. Christmas is here. But there is a problem because there's not one but two signs in the sky. After the woman, he says, and then I saw another sign, an enormous red dragon. Now, the text does not give us all the details we want, but there are hints about who this dragon is and what he is all about. Let's begin with who. In verse 9, if you read to that point, John tells us who this dragon is. He says he is the ancient serpent. He is the devil, also known as Satan. Do you remember back in the book of Beginnings, Genesis? There's a man and a woman in paradise. Everything's good until... In slithers this talking snake. Now listen, modern kids' cartoons with talking animals have warped our understanding. This is not some cuddly pet that you want to talk to. He is the devil who is coming into God's creation to sow discord and cause chaos. And now we see him revealed for who he is. He's not some harmless snake. He is a dragon that seeks to devour, seeks to destroy. And this dragon has seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. You say, seven? Wait, I thought seven referred to the perfection of God, the goodness of God. So how does he have seven? Here's two reasons. Number one, the enemy, we are told, often masquerades, pretends to be good when he is evil. Hence what Isaiah the prophet says, that we call good things bad and bad things Good. There's an exchange there. There's a masquerading. But number two, here's what you need to know. The city of Rome was built on top of seven hills. Seven hills, seven heads, seven crowns. This is the symbol of Rome. And to show people, Jesus is saying, you think that Caesar is the ultimate evil? Caesar is just a puppet to the evil underneath all things. The one who props up all the problems. Any tin-pot dictator, every issue in the world, every conflict, ultimately there is someone underneath it who has begun the ball rolling. And it is not another human. Friends, our struggle is not against one another, but it's against the dragon. The person that you think is your enemy is not your enemy. That is someone who needs to be rescued from the ultimate enemy. And so he is one who has seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. There's that word again, but it's not the same word. This is not the word for a victor. This is the word diadem. Everyone say diadem. Diadem. This is your medieval crown. This is the authority crown. And there will be points in Revelation where we see the word diadem. The 24 elders put their crowns down at Jesus' 
feet. In other words, I have authority, but I give you the authority that has been granted to me. But notice, the dragon doesn't take off his crowns and give them to anyone, does he? It's me, 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 mine. And some of us at this point are saying, this dragon, how in the world did he get here? After all, if God is good, why? Have you ever wondered why there is a devil? Have you ever heard someone say, if God's good, why do you let that thing into creation? And so, almost as though he's answering the question he knows we all have, Jesus, let me, let me show you. And so now, that image of the woman and the dragon pauses, and we get a rewind way back before Genesis, all the way to the very beginning. God, in heaven, we see this war scene. You see, the devil, we are told, and this comes from two passages, if you want to write this down, Zechariah or excuse me, Ezekiel 28, verse 12 through 18, and Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, tell us that Satan was the most beautiful of all the angels. Did you know that? Satan began as an angel, not just any angel, but the most beautiful, the most glorious one. But here's the problem. Isn't it true that sometimes if you are top of the heap, you begin to believe your own press? Have you ever met someone... They were really humble until they became the top dog. And then they begin to think things of themselves that are not true. And so the devil begins to think, you know what? God's kind of lucky to have me. In fact, I could probably run this show a little bit better than he does. Have you ever thought you could control your life and make better choices than the ones God's, God has for you? And so he rebels. And not only him, but a third of the angels join him. That's what that symbol means where his tail swipes a third of the stars from the sky. They wage war. And there's another angel named Michael. He is an archangel or a head angel. He leads the armies of heaven. They fight against the devil. And the devil loses. He is cast out with the rest of the angels, the fallen angels. He is the first being in all of creation to learn the truth. God always wins. Before that point, no one had tested the theory, but now we know even the biggest one in creation is not above the creator of all things. So what does heaven do? They celebrate. Praise God for the enemy of God has been cast down. This is a rip-roaring time. But then they say, but look out below. For the enemy has been cast down. Watch out, land and sea, because he is now in your backyard. The enemy is now here. And he may be wounded, but he is angry, he is bitter, and he hates those that God loves. After all, how do you hurt the one that you cannot hurt? Hurt the things the one you hate loves. So so this is that moment, parents, you know what I'm talking about. There's that bully at school. And the kid misbehaves. You want to harm a parent, harm the child of the parent, correct? I mean, come on, let's just be honest here. It's one thing for you to insult me, but if you insult a child of mine, that hurts much, much more. And so the enemy hates God, hates the work of God, and so he comes after the people of God. This is what we get in verse 17. Do you remember the passage? It says this, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against, notice this, The rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. He hates God, so he hurts what God loves. He is wounded, but he is not dead yet. And I'll tell you, when I heard this, it reminded me of a video I saw of 
Well, I'll show it to you. Take a look at this. That's just weird how it does that. See, it's still moving. I'm not sure if that's a cow or the people in slow motion making that noise, but do you catch that? Do you see the snake head? He's severed from the body. He must be harmless, right? Still attacking. A friend of mine who was a missionary in Africa shared a story with me about 10 years ago. He was visiting a local village that had had a bit of an exciting experience recently. Not too long before, in the night, a large, I mean massive snake slithered into one of the homes of this family. Fortunately, the family woke up. They raced out, screamed, they closed the door, and they went to a neighboring village where there's a man who's known for killing snakes where he lived. So they went and they got him. He came back. He went in with his tools, closed the door behind him, and they hear commotion. They hear stuff toppling over and, and all, and then everything goes silent. And the man walks out, closes the door. They say, well, did you get him? He goes, yes, but, and they said, can we go back in? And as they're asking the question, they start to hear Pots and pans being overturned, chairs flipping. They hear something large and fleshy bumping against the wall of the house. He says, the snake is dead, but he doesn't know it yet. Friends, the enemy has been defeated, but he is still thrashing around, isn't he? And sometimes he gets us. He's entered into the house of this world, and for some of us, you know the experience. Sometimes the devil gets us. You get that report, and sometimes you go, oh, no. And he gets us. Sometimes our young children who have such a promising future do something that completely robs them from it. Sometimes he gets us. He is angry. He has been beaten by Jesus, but he is angry, and his only recourse is to harm God's kids. And if God's kids don't know that he's in the house, we will get hurt. You need to know that there is an enemy who hates God and hates you. And did you notice who he is after? Notice what it says. It says he is there to hurt the child. Why a child? Got to get them before they're too big to fight back. This dragon is Pharaoh who tells all the midwives of Israel, kill the little boy so they cannot grow up to fight against us in Egypt. This dragon is Herod who has all the boys two years old and younger killed in Bethlehem just so that the Messiah cannot make it out of that hometown. This is our culture whenever it perverts or confuses our children because if you want to destroy a people, go after those who are too young to defend themselves. This is why, hear me now, this is why people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. They will say, I need a Savior. He is my Savior. Jesus is Lord. They will be baptized. And then they think, everything's going to be great now. Now, I'm going to roll up and always get that parking space. I will get that promotion. I will never run out of money. Relationships will be effortless and awesome all the time. By the way, church, isn't that how it always works? No. No. What happens? I can guarantee you, if you come to faith, within the first year, there will be things that happen. may not be life-threatening, but they will be annoying, frustrating, or despairing at times. Why? 
When you come to faith in Jesus, he is not the only one who notices. There is an enemy who hates you. In fact, if you don't hear anything else, hear this first thing. The devil, Satan, is real. And he hates you and wants to hurt you. And if you don't know that, you won't be ready for him. So the question is, Josh, what do we do about it? After all, if this is the great scene we see in heaven, what do we do about it? Well, first thing I need you to see is simply this. It says that his time is short. He will not be in control. He will not have power forever. That's what that three and a half year period refers to. There is a beginning, middle, and end to the power of the enemy. And he will lose it all eventually. But what do we do in the meantime? Two things. Write these down. Number one. We are saved, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Did you hear the song that we sang right before this this message? We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. What does that even mean? That's an Old Testament reference to Exodus. When leaving Egypt, God sends the angel of death into Egypt. And he's going to kill the firstborn son of everyone in Egypt. All of those except... Those who put lamb's blood on the doorpost to their home. A lamb must die. A perfect spotless lamb must die. Its blood be spilt and cover the home of the people. And the angel of death will pass over. Death will not enter that house. In the same way, you and I are forgiven of our sins. Death, the eternal death, cannot harm us because Jesus' blood covers us. Now here's the problem. Did you hear what the devil is called? The accuser. What does an accuser do? He tells you everything you've ever done wrong. Morning and night. Doesn't matter the time of day. Doesn't matter where you are. He is constantly there to tell you what's wrong. He's like that little recorder in your head that keeps playing back. But don't you remember this? But don't you remember this? But don't you remember this? Some of us are here today singing songs with our mouths that our hearts do not believe because of the accusations of the enemy. So what do you do when he accuses? Here's what you do when he says you've done this. You did it here. You did it with these people. Here's what you do. Are you ready? Guilty as charged. That is absolutely true. You're absolutely right. I did those things. That is absolutely true. I was there with that person. But. Now I tell you all the time. That word but negates everything that happens earlier in the sentence. Doesn't it? Some of you fellows have had the unfortunate experience of receiving the letter or the text message from that girl. She says, I've enjoyed dating you these three past months, but... And you go, I don't care about those three months because the but got in the way. When he says you've done this, you say guilty as charged, but Jesus blood covers me. Jesus Christ has forgiven me. Jesus will never bring up my past again, so neither will you, Satan. He covers me. I have been covered by the blood of the land. That is what you start with. You have been forgiven. And then number two, you share your testimony. Now what is your testimony? It has three parts. It has who you were before Jesus when Jesus met you, and who you are because of Jesus Christ, before, change, and after. And there's a power in knowing what God has done for you, but even greater power in sharing it with yourself and with others. 
There is someone in your family who needs to know your story of salvation. There's someone in your cubicle or your office who needs it. There's someone in your school or neighborhood. Friends, I am here today because of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. Who was I before? Here's my testimony. I grew up in a Christian house, and I love my family. But growing up in a Christian household does not save you. And it does not take away the guilt of what you've done wrong. I dealt with incredible, crippling guilt, depression, and worry growing up. I was obsessive-compulsive. I dealt with so much depression. I was seeing a psychiatrist and under medication. There was just this ongoing barrage of, I'm not good enough, but I'm going to try harder. But I'm not good enough, I'm going to try harder. And it got worse and worse. But Jesus found me. And he told me that I was valued not for what I could do, but because of what he has done for me. And when Jesus says, you are now mine, your value changes. It's no longer you earning it. You receive it. And so now, yes, do I struggle with some neuroses? Of course I do. But my value is not in what I have done. It is in who he is and what he has done for me. Now I enter the day with joy because it's because of Jesus. I don't perform to get his love. I respond because of his love. But... I have been saved. Do you know your testimony? The world doesn't need another superhero. So many of us have this lie in our minds that we need to show up as these invincible individuals who don't show what's wrong or what has gone wrong. The world doesn't need a perfect you. The world needs you to show a perfect Savior. And you do that by saying, this is who I was. This is what Jesus did. He found me. And he grabbed me and said, you're mine. I don't care what the enemy says you're mine. So now we can enter the day because of what Jesus did. Do you know there's an enemy who will accuse you? If you do, you say, I have the blood of the lamb and I have a testimony. Do you know yours? So two questions, they're on the screen. Number one, are you forgiven? Nothing else I say matters unless you can answer that question with a yes. Have you said yes to Jesus? Give me life, Jesus. I can't do it. I need a Savior, and I want you to be my boss, my Lord. Have you been baptized? And then if you have, do you know your testimony, and are you sharing it to the people in your family, to those around you, because they need to know the truth, that there is a God? Listen to me. Listen to me. If the Lord had the power to kick the devil out of heaven... He still has the power to kick him out of your life as well. Amen. Are you forgiven and do you have a testimony? This is how we overcome. I think we should thank God for that, don't you? Let's stand. I'm going to pray over you, then we're going to sing this morning. And I'm going to invite you to sing not as those who cower in darkness, but those who have seen the King and have been saved from the enemy. Father God, it's in Jesus' name that we thank you for the work you did before we even entered the scene and the work you'll continue to do, as the scripture says, the work you will bring unto completion. I pray now in Jesus' name that you will forgive, forgive us of our arrogance and our ignorance that there is an enemy. But thank you so much that you have overcome and the power that brought you out of the grave is now available to each of us. May we live with that knowledge and share that 
with those who need to hear it most. I thank you that you are a good God, that you overcame, and through your blood, we too may overcome. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.